Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Worst Movies We Own podcast. My name is Bobby and this is... Natalie. And this week we are covering... Sorry, I'm just really <laughs> distracted by what you're doing right now. I don't understand what's going on. It's a voice. It's a voice. Um, I'm just going to do my voice. X-Men Origins, Wolverine. From what year? 2009. Schnickety schnick. Natalie, tell the hopefuls at home what the Worst Movies We Own podcast is all about. So, we're watching the worst DVDs we own. According to the average ratings, each film is received on the website Letterboxd. Uh, we watch a lot of films together, and we're hoping that some of these low-rated ones will actually surprise us and be quite good after all. So we're watching each one with an open mind, even the ones we've seen before, hoping for the best. Uh, we've not bought any of the films specifically for this podcast. It's a mixture of charity shop finds, random stuff in box sets, sequels and the like, and films that we've bought that other people just don't rate. Lovely stuff. This week we've seen X-Men Origins Wolverine, mm-hmm. uh, the first of the X-Men spin-offs, when after they completed what would be called the original trilogy of X-Men films, yeah. where Hugh Jackman was very much the breakout star as the Wolverine. Mm-hmm. Um, they span off and did an origin story where it was supposed to be a solo adventure for Wolverine, exploring his background and mythology. Yeah. Um, they went through various soft reboots of the X-Men franchise with, whilst trying to keep various stars, and we finally reached the end of it as a sort of nine or ten film series. Yeah. You an X-Men fan? Do you know, it's it's difficult to say because if you'd asked me that when I was 10 years old, mm-hmm. I would have said absolutely because the X-Men cartoon was Brilliant. one of my favourite things Yeah, it's weird. It's such a memorable theme tune as well. I hum it to myself all the time. I've not seen the cartoon for 25 years. But... And it was, it was a really good Saturday morning cartoon. It probably came out just as I was maybe getting a little bit too old for Saturday morning cartoons. And I still really enjoyed it. It was one of my faves. Yeah. Um, if you'd asked me when I was 13 and I watched the films for the first time, the trilogy that you just mentioned, mm. I would have said absolutely because I was a big fan of those as well. Though I can't really remember the second and third one. Yeah. Though I know I've seen them a couple of times. The first one for me was the one that I watched quite a lot. It was on TV a lot. And I really like Anna Paquin. Yeah, and who Rogue doesn't? was my favourite character. Oh. And I really like Rogue from the cartoon. And it was just like, yeah, um, <laughs> I, I like that. Mm. But if you asked me five years ago, in the midst of all the the new ones, the kind mm. of the ones that go back and forth in time, and, and it's Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy... I would say no. I'd lost interest by that point. They weren't for me. I didn't like them. I don't like them. I haven't seen the last one that they did, to my knowledge. Dark Phoenix. Did I see that? I'm sure we went to see it together. It's got the really annoying girl from Game of Thrones in it. It does have Sansa Stark. Sansa, yeah. That's not the actress's name. I think it's Sophie Turner. Oh, right, okay. Mm. You think I'd remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because your maiden name is Turner, isn't it? My maiden name is Turner. Because people listening might not know that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess a lot of proportion would probably do. <laughs> um, I uh, have seen that. It was rubbish. There's still one of the run of the litter in terms of X-Men films because it was made at a time when they knew the franchise was finishing and the studio had been taken over. Mm. There's one that still hasn't been released. There's the New Mutants oh. that they made about three years ago with uh, Anna Taylor-Joy. Now that one sounds quite good. Yeah, it's kind of horror-themed, almost yeah. like a Nightmare on Elm Street X-Men film, Yeah, uh, which has gone through various reshoots and uh, refiddles and still hasn't ever been released because of the Disney-Sony takeover. Yeah. The Disney-Fox takeover, whoops. Um, I... I I like the X-Men films more than the quality of films. It's very wayward, the quality of these films. There's really brilliant entries to absolutely terrible entries. Uh, but I treat them almost the same as I do James Bond, in that they recast characters, actors reappear in different roles, the continuity doesn't hold up from one film to the next, mm. they're constantly retconning and rebooting as they go along, and they'd rather just make a fun film than care too much about what happened three films ago. Yeah. And now they've added time travelling to various episodes. You you couldn't make sense of it. 
No. Not one little bit of what is canon and what's not canon. And I'm fine with that. I sometimes just want to go see a summer blockbuster which has action sequences, cool characters interacting, and special effects, and you know, interesting villains. Mm-hmm. This film is not that. <laughs> uh, I... I remember leaving the cinema to this very disappointed. Aww. And on this watch, for the first 45 minutes to an hour, I was thinking, oh, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe this, this seems better than I remember. I'm working through it. We've had a good bike chase, a good fight here. Uh, it looks great. And then the film I remember that has been quite so bad kind of comes into play in the second half of the film. In that it just seems to be a series of cartoonish fights between Wolverine and another mutant you don't really care about. And the issue I've got with that is, because it's a comic book movie, there's nothing wrong with that as a plot line, mm. as such is what Brian Singer had built up in those first two X-Men films, and what Hugh Jackman had made out of that character in the first three X-Men films, and yeah. even the first hour of this film, just feels squandered and wasted into a silly film. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed um, the first half of it, I enjoyed the second half of it. Would you say I was two, never bored. Two very different halves. It's what is set up in the first half isn't delivered in the second half, but that doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy the second half. Cool. Okay. Before we start, mm-hmm. is there anything you'd like to get off your chest? I might be, <laughs> I might be doing quite a lot of fawning. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, like it's a question I had straight off the bat. Yeah. Uh, this is a film that features Hugh Jackman, Liev yeah. Schreiber, yeah. Danny Houston, yeah. Will I Am. Taylor Kitsch, Ryan Reynolds, and Kevin Durand. Yeah. If that was a biscuit tin, there's a full selection there, you'd have an Ebelon, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I mean, Taylor Kitsch would be the, the rich tea of the mix. Yeah. Like, you'd leave that to the last of the pink wafer. But um, the rest, yeah. 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 It's a lot of, who's, who's sexiest in the film? Oh, it's difficult to say. Um, I mean, Hugh Jackman, it seems to be too obvious. Well, it would be huge. Jackman. You've got a great part in this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And to be honest, considering he's mainly either in war situations or on the run, lovely hair. Probably best mm. Wolverine hair he's ever had. There's only one moment where there's a fight towards the end between him and um, Lee Schreiber where his hair is all kind of fallen forwards mm. and he looks a little bit like Liz Taylor in the later years of life. I think that's what they were going for. Because oh, okay. Because this is supposed to be Wolverine's lost his call. Oh, it's personal, right. he's mad, he's bad. The hair ain't staying perfect for this fight, I'll tell you that. Okay. Um, but the otherwise flowing, gorgeous. Beautiful hair. Um, and almost deserve its own credit, Hugh Jackman and Hugh Jackman's hair. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, like, in terms of ensemble cast, this is middle-aged beefcake. Yeah. Yeah, and you're, you're well into it. Oh, very Every much so. different kind of... Colour and stripe. I oh, don't know. I don't play who, know who plays Agent Zero. We've got kind of the Asian kind of guy. Yeah, I don't know who he is either. I think we have seen him in other stuff, but um, he is he's pretty nice as well. Yeah. It's like... It's so, so well cast. It, it's it's <laughs> like pairs well of done, socks of the week. You've got one for every, every day of the week, haven't you? Yeah. To get your feet into yeah. amazing scenes. All right, then. Why don't you tell the hopefuls what the plot of this absolute uh, fanny fest is? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it, it, it's what it says it is. It's the origin story of the character Wolverine. Um, so Wolverine in the trilogy of X-Men films that started in, like, 99, 2000, 2001? 2000. 2000. I went to, went to the first one with my mum. Oh, that's nice. I think it was back from university and something we went off and did together that summer. Oh, that's that lovely. Yeah. Uh, did she enjoy it? I think she did. Yeah. Yeah. The um, first one's brilliant. The first yeah, one's really just 90 minutes of good fun. Mm-hmm. Like, really good storytelling. Shame the film director turned out to be a nonce, but it doesn't change the fact that uh, <laughs> it's a it's a really good blockbuster. Yeah. Um, so, Wolverine did it from the start, and he is very much kind of... I want to say a man with no name, but he has yeah. a name. He's but got, he's, he's got he's, that he's Clint Eastwood, like yeah. kind of mysterious, very masculine, brooding man who's clearly got a dark history, mm. and it's it's not really delved into... No. In those films. Occasional flashback. Yeah. yeah. So it's a perfect idea to have an origin story for him so we can see mm. where he's from. Mm. And it starts off from, from when he's a kid, um, first discovering his, not only his kind of his, his identity, his parentage, but also that he's he's a mutant and he's 
um, he and his brother have got similar but not the same mutations mm-hmm. where um, their bone structure kind of... They can go uh, kind of claws. Claw, yeah, yeah. Um, like strong claws and they're very, very difficult to kill. Mm. And then... Um, it they both of, got lupine qualities. Yes. Mm. Yeah, though... Am I right in thinking that Lee Schreiber's character is called Sabretooth? Yeah. Yeah, okay. But that's not the same... Well, it is the same Sabretooth as in the first two X-Men films played by someone called Tyler Maine who just growls and grunts and has quadrant yeah. and flowing hair. He seems to be the same character, but not But he's all. not, yeah. yeah. Um, then we get kind of like flashed forward, like we get hurtled through time throughout the opening credits as we see them engaging in various wars throughout history. Brilliant bit. Yeah, really, really good opening credits. Um, and then at the beginning of the film proper, um, it's the 70s? Sometime yeah. towards the end of the Vietnam War. Yeah. Um, and the two brothers still together... I guess um, so you can put it bang on 1975 because I think eight mile I- uh, Three Mile Island, the nuclear disaster, happens in 81 and that's where it ends. Six years and later. Six years right. later. Um, so they kind of get recruited with along, along with a few other mutants by a youthful uh, General Stryker, yeah, William Lieutenant Stryker, Stryker, William Stryker, played by Danny Houston. Um, uh, Wolverine, or L- Logan... Well, James, as he's called by at James this Howlett. point, yeah, yeah. Um, gets a little taster of what Stryker's all about, doesn't like it, so leaves, becomes a lumberjack in Canada, settles into a beautiful idyllic existence with a with a very pretty lady who's a teacher, and he's a he's a lumberjack, and they're getting on fine. Then his brother turns back up on the scene. Stryker turns back up on the scene. Um, his his brother, played by Lou Schreiber. Uh, called Victor is bumping off all the people who were part of this like secret team of mutants mm. and uh, Logan kind of everything goes wrong for him after that point and he gets kind of like wrapped up in their scheme mm-hmm. uh, Striker and Victor's scheme um, facts and figures X-Men Origins Wolverine is from 2009 directed by Gavin Hood who came to prominence on his debut film a South African youth drama called I'm going to say Totsi but it's T-O-S-O-T-I. Mm. And I don't know what bit of that is supposed to be silent, so you can pronounce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was his second film. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd gone from directing like a youth issues drama mm. set in South Africa about race and poverty to probably the biggest blockbuster of his year um, in terms of budget. He didn't have a good time in it, something we'll discuss. Um, and has since gone on to direct things more kind of in his wheelhouse, like Eye in the Sky, uh, oh, yeah, the drone good. thriller, yeah. um, more political dramas. Uh, Official Secrets is also something he directed with Keira Knightley, which you didn't go see. No, which I is, didn't. Uh, an underrated general, really good film from the last couple of years, mm. um, based on a true story. Uh, lots of people had cracks at writing this. The screenplay is credited to David Benioff, mm-hmm. who wrote 25th yeah. Hour, and, and since has taken on Game of Thrones. Um, Skip Woods, who wrote Swordfish and the worst Die Hard sequels. Oh, God. Uh, he's Bruce Willis's pocket man. Right. Uh, but also, various people's had passes on the script. So it really writes the brush ups, included David Ayers, who kind of does teen movies, mm. um, James Vanderbilt, who wrote The Spider Man and Zodiac. Oh, okay. And a guy called uh, Scott Silver. Mm. Starring, I've already read these names at once, but we'll do it again for the sake of formula. Hugh Jackman, Leif Schreiber, Danny Houston, Will I Am, Taylor Kitsch, Ryan Reynolds, Lynn Collins, and Kevin Durand. Uh, it was released on the 1st of May 2009. It cost $150 million to make. Uh, it made in its opening weekend in America $85 million. Around the world, $158 million in just three days. Oh, wow. So it made its budgets back, really, in the first couple of days. Yeah. It topped out in America on $179 million and around the world on $373 million. There's a reason why it didn't make more money, and we'll discuss that. Uh, an outside reason why it didn't make mm. quite so much money. We'll discuss that after the break. Um, it has an internet movie database score of 6.6, which is absolutely fine. Okay. Yeah, I'm just better than average is mm-hmm. 6.6. Uh, but Letterboxd only 2.3, so clearly the woke kids of Letterboxd don't like this quite as much as your normal movie goer. Yeah. That's what I would say. Uh, brilliant stuff. Let's have a break and we'll get into it. Okay. Ten years ago, 
Mm-hmm. 400 million wasn't the most a blockbuster could make, but it certainly wasn't considered a flop. These days, bizarrely, it really, really is. You only make 400 million around the world and things like Solo or Alita Battle Angel are because of how much they cost to make yeah. and how little some of that worldwide take is in percentage of what studio actually gets. They're considered disasters, which seems so strange that a film can make $400 million and not be considered a success. Yeah. Um, but was really aiming for a billion. And the X-Men franchise was kind of infamous for it topped out around $400 million, $500 million. Only Days of Future Past and Logan ever really made more than that. And they're the better ones of the recent years. Mm. Um, but the reason why you could say this one didn't make quite so much was it wasn't very good. Or, a few weeks before, a pirate copy was leaked online, and it was a really good quality copy, with some slightly different special effects shots, um, a slightly different uh, credit sequence and ending, but clearly quite a polished product, and it was downloaded by 4.5 million people before the film even came out. Did that warning with the girl on a computer downloading into a handbag this, this, affect nobody? This is really what they were scared of. I think it happened to the first Expendables film as well. Mm. That this was the um, the horrible point that Hollywood had been warning us for about 10 years of watching videos and DVDs. Mm. Don't buy a pirate. It's literally like spitting on your mum and kicking her downstairs. Mm-hmm. And this was the first time that the quality was good enough and the internet maybe everyone had broadband speeds quite so good that actually pirating a film and watching it online as a legal stream probably really did affect a couple of films' box offices mm. rather than were a vague threat to extra money Hollywood might make years after the film had come out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm going to hold my hands up. I've definitely, especially as a child, watched a pirate film. Yeah. Um, used to buy a pirate film from A Man at the Car Boat Sale who um, would have them, like E.T. or Ghostbusters out before we'd even got them over here, and it would just be a clear plastic box with E.T. scrawled in magic marker on it, <laughs> or, or uh, gremlins, or something yeah. like that, and chances are it wasn't a very good copy. Uh, around the time DVDs came out, I think you started to get slightly better copies of films, but you always ran the risk, especially if it was a new film, of it being filmed in the cinema, and occasionally having people standing up and walking around, or, yeah. or the camera having to be hit occasionally during the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a big fan of piracy. I, tr- I tend to really, really avoid it. Mm. Uh, my dad loves it. Like when when he he's got a whole shelf in his house of films from the late nineties, early two thousands that a DVD cheap knockoffs. Well, yeah, because when we go around there and I'm choosing a DVD, you have to tell me the ones not to pick. Because they're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're dodgy pirates, yeah. yeah. He's, he's given up on it since because DVDs are quite so cheap now and he can record things off TV. Uh, but there was, a, there was a period where he only bought pirates, probably for the same amount he could buy the film there <laughs> in a shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sticking it to the man. Uh, and I know you've had experience with pirate DVDs before. Well, my mum went through a phase of buying a lot of them because she lived, she moved into a new flat and uh, her neighbours sold them. Mm. And my mother is a woman who is unable to say no. If, if something's on offer. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's why she took up heroin. <laughs> yeah. Well, they sold drugs as well, so it kind of <laughs> killed two birds with one stone. Yeah, I, she bought loads of them and I watched a few of them and without exception they were terrible I mean I think I mentioned when we did the the episode on uh, Basic Instinct 2 she bought what she thought was Cars the yeah. Pixar film and it turned out to be Basic Instinct 2 so they hadn't even gone to the trouble of labelling the things properly, the thing yeah. properly. Um, she bought a copy of White Noise the Michael Keaton film and that was ironic because obviously there are scenes in that film where he's listening to White Noise mm. But the whole film, film soundbox <laughs> of the film was so bad, you wouldn't know those bits were It's almost like you had a prankster pirate in, uh, in, well, yeah. in the Manchester region, the Greater Manchester yeah. region. <laughs> um, I, I, I used to remember the other way you used to be able to buy pirates before everyone had internet that could download films. Mm. Uh, it used to be you used to have a man who'd come around the pubs, slightly rougher pubs, with like a carrier bag full of films. Yeah. And what I didn't know for years, but I eventually found out because I said, I had another table ask is, do you have any porn? And he had a whole different carrier bag in his backpack Aww. of 
pornography as well. So in the back, like behind the curtain. Yeah, he had yeah. yeah, his, yeah, his own adults. It's <laughs> <laughs> very sweet. But no, on the whole, I, I, yeah. I don't agree with that. I don't like it. Yeah, I agree with that too. I'm kind of along the lines of, I do see how, especially, like, I find it hard to believe this film. I don't think 4.5 million people who watched it online without paying for it intend would have bought a ticket to go see it. Mm-hmm. But a significant portion of them would have. Yeah. And that's definitely going to affect the box office of these things. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to be quite such an issue anymore. Um, I think people seem quite happy with streaming and paying for a subscription service and just getting what, getting spoon-fed what he decides is worth putting online. Yeah. These days, rather than looking out for stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, is better. Uh, yeah, it's just a shame, yeah. It's a shame Netflix or Disney Plus or Apple TV or whatever don't have broader um, back catalogs. Yes. Yeah. That's true. Um, cool. So, getting back to the main subject, X-Men Origins Wolverine. You yeah. seem to like it a little bit more than me. What did you like? Um, Just apart from all the kind of uh, mutton chop totty. Do you know what, when you were talking about the the figures and the, the box office and all that, because I'm not interested in that in the slightest, I wasn't listening to you. Instead, I was mentally um, shaving the middle part of your beard to see what you might I look did it, like. I did it one Christmas a couple of years ago. I know, ago I remember. Yeah. But you look like a hillbilly then, whereas mm. squinting now with the shape of your face and the kind of the tan you've got going at the moment, you could, you've got like a Leif Schreiber look. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you very much. Cotton Weary or Ray Donovan? Um... I would say saber tooth, but without the teeth. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, because cotton cotton weary is creepy as yeah. fuck. <laughs> cotton weary is um, a character from the Scream franchise. Yeah, he started off as as an extra in the background. Yeah, which is very. And strange. somehow became a main character because by he the tried second film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Ray Donovan, you know, you you're a lot younger than Ray Donovan, so you're not you're not quite there yet. Okay, good. Well, if you you know. In a few years' time, you'll like Ray Donovan. That's not going to be an issue. Ray Donovan's a TV show. Well, equally, if you look like Abby Donovan, then that's <laughs> fine with me. <laughs> if I have the physique of Paula Malcolmson when I'm her age, I would be delighted. She is in wonderful shape. Good to know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what did you like about the film you oh, right, watched? Yeah. <laughs> I like so much about it. I like the story. I like the fact that it's an origin story that starts off at the beginning. Um where, you know, you see them as kids. It's a very rushed section, but I'll talk about that when we move on to what I didn't like so okay. much. Um, the, the credit sequence where you see them fighting in the Civil War and the First World War and the Second World War in Vietnam. Brilliant, really, brilliant really well done. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that it's, it's the credit sequence, but then equally I do feel possibly missed out on a better film from what could have been, what could have happened in those five, those five minutes yeah. stretched over a feature film might have been better than what we actually saw of, like... A former death squad being of mutants being hunted down by one of their members. Yeah, um, I think maybe they went for a kind of a linear chronological approach, which is fine and it's simpler mm. and everything. But they could have done a bit of skipping around. They could have done like a Highlander thing where you get three different timelines um, kind of playing about. Yeah, with yeah, and you're right. There was a Highlander element to it as a standalone film mm-hmm. in that you've got an immortal who um, has an age-old enemy mm-hmm. and he gets in a series of one-on-one fights yeah. with other people with magical powers. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you know yeah. what film it reminded me of most? What's that? Universal Soldier. I've never seen it. Uh, but you have two Vietnam veterans who've been given uh, superpowers, uh-huh. immortal superpowers, fighting a war on the run through modern America. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I don't think either film were supposed to be a direct influence, but both of them have that. It has vibe of both those action classics. Right. Because um, of course, as well as the moving through history, you've got the two brothers growing alongside each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the the credits is 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 really clever, and it kind of shows how they take two different paths. You see mm. clips of Lee Shriver behaving less than morally. Yeah. And you he, he almost has a Miley massacre. He's involved in, yeah, yeah. Which for once again a family blockbuster, and it's just hinted at. But same as same as they've all been part of the Death Squad, it's hinted at, but never really fully said. But that's essentially what it is. They are, you know, a military Death Squad. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And you see sort of like Wolverine being sort of the, the more kind of human mm. of the brothers. Um, and again, I would like to have seen more of that. If you're not paying attention during the credits, I suppose it's addressed pretty early on in the film that one of them's gone wrong and one of them hasn't. But you might not appreciate the subtlety of that if you're not really paying attention, yeah. if you're still kind of like eating your dinner or something. Yeah. And that, I mean, they're, they're also sort of slight glimpses of them having their special powers as well. Yeah. yeah that they can survive uh, artillery that other people can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Leif Schreiber starts to show he can leap and climb things as well during that great sequence that yeah. you didn't know he could do before. And what I what I would say is, uh, you know, you see all the battles and all of them are almost formulaic shots from a Civil War movie or a World War Two mm. movie or a Vietnam movie. But World War One looks like a doddle because there's just hundreds of people walking across no man's land with very little issues. With <laughs> any other kind of cinematic depiction of World War One. <laughs> seems uh, no man's land is quite a difficult thing to cross. You're certainly not doing it en masse at, at, at like a nice pleasant stroll. Maybe it's at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's Armistice Day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so that's all good. I like. Well, it would be. They're Americans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I like the fact that it's two brothers and they're both really appealing actors yeah. slash characters. I, um, I think... Hugh Jackman is very much A-list uh, movie star. Um, he turned down Iron Man to do this oh, right. Wolverine film, you know, to carry on with the franchises he's made his name with. Yeah. And he had a few other attempts at franchise stars beyond then. But it was interesting to see he could have maybe moved off into a different direction with Marvel at that point. Mm. Um, but Lee Schreiber is... He's, he's weird. He's a bit more of... I think he suits villains best. Yeah, I agree. But there's something likeable about him. Yeah. He, 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 he's charming when he's not dull. Yeah. And I think the problem is a lot of Hollywood films that cast him have always been second fiddle in a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. uh, second fiddle in a thriller. Yeah. He's, but when he's given the chance to shine in a baddie role, he's, he, he takes, on, takes it with relish. And this is a great example of that. We'll maybe discuss that a little bit more later yeah. Um But yeah, I like and I, I like what we touched on before about the fact that Logan is a Clint Eastwood style. He's one of those characters from one of those... He's like one of those characters from a Clint Eastwood film where yeah. Clint Eastwood is living a perfectly fine existence somewhere on a farm and some some black hats come along and ruin everything. Yeah, Josie Wells. That, or, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he has to go and, and get revenge um, and it's that kind of like anti-hero like very near the knuckle kind of like well he's he's the goody you're on his side yeah. but he does some very questionable yeah. things and and Wolverine you know there is a darkness to him mm. a darkness to his character um, you know and he comes he comes quite close to doing things which are less than than moral mm. you know um, which makes him more interesting he's not He's yeah, not Clark he, Kent. He is that Much like Mad Max One, or um, you're you're seeing the more human side of Wolverine. But in the first couple of films, he's more like a Mad Max Two, like a completely hollow man, mm-hmm. or the Born Identity is a killing machine. Yeah. Uh, or Joe Hallen back in Last Boy Scout. You know, we you want to meet the bitch who fuck you up, Joe Hallen back who hates the world and himself mm-hmm. and everything. Well, in this one. Leave Schreiber is the bitch you fucked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hugh Jackman up. <laughs> yeah. Um, but as well as that circulating, you've got plenty of other um, interesting characters as well, played by likeable actors. You know, Danny Houston. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always good. And, and you've got Stryker, who's already appeared in other films. Um, you've got Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool. But he's he's just called Wade at the beginning. Yeah. He's just he's a mutant, but he's not Deadpool. Yeah, they they really try and they there's a whole paragraph to say to use the word Deadpool in this film without saying he's just called Deadpool, isn't he? Yeah, because <laughs> they've pulled the special <laughs> abilities. <laughs> yeah, um, mute Paul might be a better way of doing it. Hmm? Mute Paul. Mute Paul. Yeah, thank God. Um, and. Uh, You've got Will I Am, who 
I had a, a, a little crush on back in the day. Yeah. A little bit earlier than 2009. Yeah. Where's um, the love will I am? Yeah. yeah. Um, Don't Fuck With My Heart. Oh, yeah. Watched the making of the video for Don't Fuck With My Heart on MTV lots of times. Because Will I Am, wasn't it? He does this little dance where he sort of like sticks his butt out. He does like the Charlie dance from It's Always Sunny. But, 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 yeah, that. Uh, so that's nice. Um, and Gambit. You've got like the oh, character yeah. of Gambit. He's a great character. Mm. Who was really good in the cartoon, but he didn't crop up in any of the no, other films. No, uh, they, the plan always was for the last 10 years for uh, Gambit to have his own spin-off film, not with Taylor Kitsch, with Channing Tatum playing Gambit. And uh-huh. I get the feeling every film there's discussion is this the one we introduced Gambit in, and this is the film where they finally, because maybe the producers had more control rather than the director mm. and the writers, that... Gambit's kind of crowbarred in t- into the last act. Yeah, there isn't enough of him. Yeah. But certainly if they were going to make another film as a follow-up to this straight after with the characters who are still in play, mm-hmm. it would be great to have a film with Gambit in at the whole Your only problem would be you have to have Gambit in uh, the 1980s or 90s then because of it. we leave him at the right age in 1981. Not that the yeah. X-Men films really care about this all that much. Yeah, but I mean, maybe not so much back then because it was too near to that time. But now, a film set in the eighties or nineties, people love it, don't they? Right. Oui. We. Oui. Um, so I like the characters. I like the locations. I think they make some really nice choices with, with where it's set. Like it's interesting that the first scenes in in Nigeria, it's in Lagos, and um, yeah. you know, there's a kind of a compound and then a, a bit in the jungle. Um, a lot of the films set outdoors, and it looks really good for it. Yeah, it does. The the straight after that goes to the Canadian Rockies and it's beautiful because yeah. um, it allows for the kind of the mountains and the, the clear blue skies um, but it also allows for a kind of like like a pastoral scene a little bit later on where, where Logan temporarily gets taken in by um, like a pleasant country couple yeah, yeah. like a Martha and, and uh, what's Clark Kent's dad called? Pa Pa Kent Oh, you know, whatever. Marlon Let's Mar- just go Park for that. Yeah, Marlon those Marlon kind of. And, uh... um, and um, New Orleans as well. There's a scene in New Orleans. Maybe that could have lasted a bit longer. That's where he first meets Gambit. But it's always nice to see New Orleans in a, in a mm. film. Or a I don't think that's show. real New Orleans, I'm going to guess. Uh, they had the Rue Bourbon okay. street sign. Oh, right, fair enough. Then I think that might be. have been stock footage, though. Okay. <laughs> um, even like well, again, what I'd say is that there's a point at the midway point where suddenly we seem to be stuck a lot more in studio sets rather than the great outdoors. Yeah. The real world. Yeah, yeah. Um, but even the, the sort of like the, the short scenes where you just get, a, and it's only one scene in a couple of cases, um, there's one in a fairground in Ohio early on in the film. And that bit's good. That Got bit's a really good feeling, visual sensibility. Yeah, um, and, and a lot of attention and care and stuff on the actual setting of it. And um, there's a little bit in a boxing gym in Las Vegas, which doesn't need to be in that Las Vegas. That bit's not good. I like that bit, it's got blob in it. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, if it was X-Men The Last Stand, a more family-friendly, inconsistent tone X-Men film, that sequence would be absolutely fine in it. This is a film that's kind of almost had a harder, more noirish adult edge, and that scene feels very much out of place to what has gone on before. True, and it's not my favourite, but I think if you're going to have moments of levity, I prefer it to be done in the same way that this film did it, where it's contained in scenes. So that means that you know that this is going to be a funny scene, this is going to be like a bit of light relief, Mm. and then it's over with rather than the kind of the modern Marvel way of doing it, where they pepper every single bloody scene with, with, a, the with jokes. Yeah, the proper which good banter. gets very annoying very quickly. So at no point can it ever be serious, because there's always Robert Downey Jr. making some kind of smart-ass remark. Mm. Whereas this, it's contained. And there aren't many scenes. So if, if, you're thinking, if, you, if you are enjoying this as like a darker option, and you don't like the levity, then... You only have to put up with it maybe two or three times. I'd say that say that that cartoonishness is very much present from that point onwards, if not so blatant as the blob sequence. But as well, I mean, it is doing that kind of. Um, it's a bit of fan service, which means more to other people than it does to us. But if you're wanting to see characters that you like from the comics, then you know you get. To, I don't know what Will I Am supposed to be. 
his character. He, he, he uh, can teleport. No, I know what his powers are, but who, I don't know who... Oh, who I think they just made them up for the film. And oh, got, okay. The comics have people who have similar powers all the time. Yeah. Um, and there's there's at least a thousand pe- characters we've never seen on screen yeah. that have been in the comics as an X-Men with that power for a couple of uh, uh, issues. Well, I quite liked that bit. Um... You know, and, and and having said what that the, the, there are a few moments of levity which I don't mind. I like the fact that it's a darker, more adult film. Like there's moments of real tragedy in it, and I think they're dealt with really well. I mean, you know? I mean, if, if we're going to be honest, don't meet Wolverine. He gets you killed. Yeah, yeah it's, it starts with him killing his own. Well, yeah. yeah, killing his own father. Yeah, um, and there are other deaths, though. Maybe not actual death. There's some twists and turns. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, the the scene where he gets his his um, adamantium uh, fused to his skeleton, like it's horrible. You're told that it's going to be very painful, mm. but it looks painful. Yeah. Like it's actually like grim um, mm. in how <laughs> how how painful it. Looks. And in terms of the franchise, this is what he keeps having like kind of nightmarish flashes back to. Yeah. This torturous procedure to put the adamantium into. And you would. So, yeah, it's good that they actually deliver on a sort of five-minute sequence where it's not a throwaway, and now we're going to cover your bones in metal. Do you know, a uh, little fun fact, two people have died since this film injecting mercury into their bodies trying to strengthen their bones. Oh, they didn't. Yeah. Because two, of the film? Yeah. Two, but mercury? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they can't adamantium, can they? Well, no, I can't. Yeah, but I mean, did they not listen in chemistry class where you were told that never to break the thermometer because mercury can kill you? Well, they broke it. And they they were proven right, the people who said don't break it. Yeah. Mm. Oh, those idiots. That's the Darwin thing, though, isn't it? It is the Darwin Awards thing, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, But, yeah, and and just, I think probably the last thing for me to say about what I liked about it is... um, whilst I don't really care about the action in these films, it's not what I've bought the ticket for, I really enjoy the action bits in this, because they're not too long, they don't drag on, mm. and they're spectacular. The, um, the first half's action is really good. Yeah. Uh, and is that nice mixture of relatively real-world action, you get like a nice, exciting motorbike chase, mm. uh, which ends with a point that's over-the-top destructive even to the point where Wolverine gets to walk away from an explosion like it's a 1990s movie yeah which yeah nothing wrong with that I'm sure I'm sure that's lost it a few points on letterbox with the kids but yeah. for me I like to see a hero walk away from an explosion at the end of an oh with the fireball behind it yeah, like, like illuminating Nicholas like Cage and Connor mm. or um, Brian Bosworth in Stone Cold if you've got an explosion and you're the hero walk away from it yeah as fuck yeah <laughs> um and yeah, I mean, he he takes down a helicopter. He, he fights a helicopter as well. I mean, that's that's yeah. very impressive. Yeah, it's a, it's a good bit. Yeah, and the moment when he's running towards it, and you kind of you're on the edge of your seat, and it's really exciting. It it was a little bit like um, one of the recent Mission Impossible films where, in the trailer, even you see Tom Cruise running towards a helicopter. It's that kind of I just like seeing men run towards helicopters. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gives it a big tick. Yeah. Um, and even towards the end, like. I, I get really frustrated and, and fidgety and I know it's it's my own lack of attention span, but towards the end of a film where you know there's gonna be a big action sequence at the end and you know that the goodie's gonna win and you just sat through it and it goes on for like in twenty minutes in some cases where you're just thinking, Well, yeah, I know he's been thrown into a building, he's unconscious, but he's gonna come back from it because he's a goodie, he's gonna win. I don't need to see that for twenty minutes. Five minutes, fight on top of a cooling tower, a bit of homoeroticism with um Lee Schreiber. Lee Schreiber. Bosh, done. See, I was, I was uninvested by that point. And while the actual sequence at the end, in theory, should be quite good of them having this fight together against Deadpool on top of a cooling tower. And in its own way, it's all right. Um, by that point, I'd seen uh, Hugh Jackman fight another mutant eight or nine times. I would have preferred a different kind of action sequence to close things off. Or it to be really between him and Victor who are the two characters you invested in by the, by the end. I suppose so. I guess they wanted to keep Victor mm. around. And then we have about 20 minutes of epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that mm, quite a bit of that is kind of setting up 
this is why Logan doesn't remember these people. <laughs> Peter Webb, it does end the film on a massive bowler of, here's, here's about 20 minutes of tragedy, wandering around, him having conversations with characters he doesn't remember, them seeing characters who aren't part of this film, but you've got an idea of where the continuity for the rest of the series is going to go. Not that we're going to follow that too strictly in future films. <laughs> it's 20 minutes of inessential storytelling with no real risk. Yeah, it, it does flag a little bit those last 20 minutes. Um, personally, I wouldn't want the, the fight to have gone on any longer in order to fill that space, um, but maybe they could have done something a little bit more interesting with the time mm-hmm. that they had. There's quite an, a good moment at the end where a, um, a female character, who I'll go into in the dislike section... Oh, hello. Um, <laughs> has the kind of the power to control people and she does this thing that you'd see maybe in like an episode of Preacher where she tells someone to do something, you know, she's got like the word of God and she tells the just, baddies. You could just spoil it for people, darling. It's oh, okay. Um, his girlfriend who he thinks is dead isn't. Mm. Um, yeah. She, Stryker has been um, holding her sister hostage to make her um, mess with, with Logan and um, she's dying, and to get her revenge, she because um, she's like an empath, and she can grab hold of him and, and make him do stuff. She she says she spares his life, but she tells him that he's got to keep walking until his feet yeah, turn which bloody, is very much and Jesse Custer, kind of very much a Jesse Custer type thing. And I think that's really good um, as well. And that, the, that's not twenty minutes. Uh, this, in theory, it's not really, but it's based on a series of comics called Wolverine Origins where we could see uh, Logan's history over sort of the last 200 years. Mm. Uh, and they were drawn by Steve Dillon, who drew the British comics. Oh, really? So there's every chance people... I can't see if you were a Hollywood creative around in the 90s or noughties, you wouldn't have read Preacher, because it was such yeah. a property that so many people had a crack at trying to turn into films or TV series until they eventually did. Very successfully. It's, yeah, it's probably the best comic book series from first issue to last issue that's ever existed. Um, so yeah massively influential in a way maybe a few of the ideas have been ripped off by other films as the years have gone on mm. um, what didn't you like? right well there's not loads that I didn't like but I will say um, I don't know who the actress is you must have said her name her name is Lynn Collins and she is, is yeah she is in a few things on either side but I would get the feeling this was her big break but she's been seen in smaller roles and other things, cast in this, and nothing really came about afterwards. Um, I'm not saying she's not still working, but it's not a spectacular career. And to be honest, she's very pretty, she's a very mm-hmm. attractive woman. She's not great in this. No, she's she's got the kind of she's got a quality which is perfect for her in her look, which is perfect for her character. I thought you were going to say perfect for whoring. No, no, I never <laughs> said that. I didn't mean to. Um, where she looks very kind of like innocent and pure and and sweet mm. and that kind of ties in with the new um normal life that Logan's built for himself. Um but she then like like we've just said, she comes back into it in a more substantial role. She's not what she seemed and she just cannot pull that off at all. No. Which is such a shame because if it was if it was another actress, I think the the twist and and the character in the second half of the film would be much better. Well, I mean, like kind of, there's a lot of tropes in this film, a lot of cliches, and one of them that a lot of uh, feminist uh, film fans don't like is fridging, where in the first act the hero's girlfriend or wife dies mm. to give him someone to avenge for the rest of the film, uh, and that does seem to be what happens during this film, but it's almost like a twist on fridging in that the bad guys want to make Wolverine want revenge and get involved mm. back in fighting mutants. Yeah. So therefore, they pretend to fridge his girlfriend and by setting him up with a mutant who has to fall in love because she's psychic. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Again, this might be one of the reasons why Letterboxd, which really care about how female characters are treated in the film and I think you should care about how female characters are treated in the film when you're the only female character in a film (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah I mean there's definitely an issue there that maybe if you look at it in sort of the wider context of how the plot turns out isn't quite such a big problem Mm. Um, but she was supposed to be the character she's based on is supposed to be Native American which might be why they dyed her hair 
she actually supposed to be Native American? Because her sister's like that's blonde. blonde. Yeah, it's Scandic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I get the feeling it's the it's, it's very much lip service to people who might complain about her whitewashing the cast. No, no, um, she's Native American. Is her sister? No, she's not. <laughs> do you know it? It could have been a lot better if they. The, there is a Native American actress whose mm. name I cannot remember. Are you thinking of uh, Moonblood? No, she's she's the girl from Wind River, not Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, I think she is in Wind River. Yeah, she's in Wind River. Yeah, but she would have been too too young. young. The two two other people up for the role at the time were Maggie Q. Okay. Nikita, the villain Die Hard Four, and Michelle Monaghan. Oh yeah, yeah okay. Um, Yeah, Yeah, but I mean, either of them would be Native American. No. Mm. I'm talking about the girl who's in Terminator Salvation. She's the freedom fighter, the resistance fighter. She's she's Native American, in her in her ancestry. Which one's Terminator Salvation? The future one, the one actually set in the future. Oh okay, I can't remember. Okay, but very attractive, very good actress. Uh, had her four or five years in blockbusters and seems to have gone on to TV. The girl I'm thinking of has got a Q in her first name. Okay. I'll see if I can find it when. Oh, you think you know the girl who was in uh, Whale Rider and New World and a couple of episodes of Game of Thrones. I've not seen either of those films. This is really not going to be yeah, great. Yeah, I, I, I think really I know boring, who you are. I won't be able to say her name like, no. off the head, but yeah, you're right. Yeah. I think she would have been too young then as well. She would have been too young been, as well. Okay, she would have just been 18 or 19 at that point. Okay. okay. Well, there are lots of better options than the girl they, they've gone with. Yeah. Um, I'd say um, the other thing, another thing that I had an issue with is that it, it moves too fast in some places. Um, it's something that I've mentioned before really recently and I can't remember what film it was I was talking about but it's an origin film for an origin film it need it should be long <laughs> you know it should be running over two hours because there's a lot of story to tell yeah. and you need to have um, well, it does, plot it, as well the it abandons story by the end and just has sets up different reasons why Wolverine's going to have a fight with other characters yeah um, I would like to have seen more of his, not lots more, but a bit more of his childhood. I would like to have seen more of the, um, as, as good as the credit sequence is, I would like to have seen more of what happens in the 150 years in that, between. Really, that should have been the film we got. I, I know, it's a, yeah. as a maybe earlier, but thinking about it, that's that's really the film we'd want to watch. Yeah, yeah. But there, there would have been ways of doing it where, you know, he has nightmares. He has nightmares about the wars that he's taken part in because there's one point where he's, he's still shacked up with Kayla where he wakes up from a nightmare. Could have had like a kind of like a... Um, like a, like a separation of the acts of the film with him having mm. a nightmare and yeah. it being one of the wars in chronological sequence to cover all the wars that he was involved with and just have like a mini story or something mm. like that. Just add a little bit more flesh onto the yeah. bones. I mean, yeah, it'd be nice to know what he gets up to in between wars. Yeah. <laughs> him, and, him and Victor go do, on, when they're demobbed. Yeah. Do they go to other countries and fight? Because they're fighting for America, even though they're Canadians. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I would like to have seen more. The, the set piece near the beginning, well, at the very beginning after the credit sequence in Lagos, I think could have been longer. Yeah. Because then it would have given you more of a chance as well to appreciate who all the different characters are. There are five or six other men, mm. five other men in their um, in this cohort that Strikers brought together, mm. and I didn't know who any of them were except for uh, Deadpool, and yeah. I only know that because of the later films that have been made. Um, but you are supposed to know and care about these characters because a couple of scenes later. Um, uh, is it Do- Dominic Monaghan's character? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, he gets bumped off by Victor, and you've only met him once in one scene, and you can, you know, it's yeah. you, you don't care. Why would you care? Um, so I think they could have fleshed out the Lagos bit as well, um, and, and and maybe a couple of other bits, um, kind of tying in with that. They do a thing where, um, and I know this is kind of meant to be, it's something that is quite common in like an origin story where the character acquires the various things that you are familiar with him for. So um, in Wolverine's case, he gets his admantium um, and his tags and his jacket and the motorbike, which is fine, but all that happens within about 10 minutes of the film. It's the best 10 minutes of the film. Yeah, it's a a great 10 minutes, (laughs) but it just happens really fast. It's like, it just seems improbable (laughs) that, you know... um, 
there's not much gross or subtlety in, in doing no, it that way. But it's a film. I think, I think it's a film that's very much trying to do too much. Yeah, uh, in, in a very short of, running time. Yeah. yeah, a lot. A lot of ideas have been kept and not re- and and been either shrunk down or not fully developed and put together in a big stew of a film. Um, and none of them really get to be as flavoursome or as meaty as they could be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is where my major major issue lies. Apart from the Kayla issue, it would be that. But apart from that, I enjoyed it very much. Well, I'll give you a bit of the backstory behind the film. Yeah. Because uh, it is a film that's had issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so Gavin Hood's second time director, first time working for a Hollywood studio. It's Fox, mm. who were famously hands-on with their executives. Uh, on their big budget films and why shouldn't they be they're spending a lot of money on these films a lot a lot of people's jobs are riding on them mm. um, he definitely found issues uh, working under such a big regime and while he hasn't been massively outspoken you can pick things up from different interviews that it definitely wasn't a smooth ride for him so um, he wanted to explore the idea of uh, Logan having PTSD from all the wars he's been in. Okay. That was taken out of the script That's just before the film began. Um, he, there was a Fox executive called Tim Rothman who was the on-site kind of studio representative. Mm-hmm. And he found on days when he wasn't around on certain sets, this guy would be reordering things to be repainted to make them more colourful. Okay. and attractive to a blockbuster audience right. compared to the kind of more real world vibe yeah. darker mood he was going for um, it got to the point where tensions between these two people became so bad that Richard Donner who's not a producer on the X-Men films but his wife Laura Schuler Donner mm. is she's held the rights for since the 90s yeah. it's been her kind of pet project that she's seen through the whole franchise right um, and it's often rumoured that Richard Donner, director of Superman, Nick mm-hmm. Webb and Lost Boys, took over and filmed some sequences or reshot some stuff as mm-hmm. well. As, so, And I think maybe there are certain scenes where you get the feel of a, just a different hand on how the tone of the scene is compared to the other bits of the film. Um, oh, it's interesting because when uh, Wolverine Logan breaks out of his... Um, his bath that mm-hmm. he's been in when they put the adamantium in him and you get to see his butt. Mm-hmm. I did think about Mel Gibson's butt in uh, yeah. Lethal Weapon. So. Um, top three movie butts, let's just run through them. I'm guessing it's Mel Gibson in his trailer Lethal Weapon yes. 1, Michael Douglas uh, after the fucking <laughs> century basic instinct, <laughs> and then Hugh Jackman just having a little skedaddle around the, the labs in any X-Men film where there's a skedaddle around the labs in the nude. Is that your personal? No, no, I'm going, I'm literally, I'm writing yours <laughs> for you. I don't uh, think Michael, uh, Michael uh, Douglas would be in there. Really? To be honest, yeah. You watch it a lot? I do watch it a lot. But <laughs> <laughs> are you, are, do you watch it to see where he folds his lovely jumper, a lovely green jumper after the He looks comes. a lot better dressed in it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, give his butt a chance. It's had the fuck of the century. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And there was also tension on set in terms of the film was still being rewritten to be more family-friendly as shooting was going on. Yeah. Hugh Jackman wasn't fully available during the shooting of the film because Australia, another 20th Century Fox production, the um, Baz Luhrmann film, mm. was still filming at overrun. Okay. So there's times when he wasn't available. So confusing. I keep thinking this one is a lot earlier than 2009, no, so it seems weird to think yeah. that he was making this after the film Australia. Yeah. Um, so it, it certainly wasn't like the smoothest of productions. I'd probably say up until X-Men Apocalypse uh, and Dark Phoenix, which were also troubled productions, mm. it's probably the one that had the most back for I guess I really like Wolverine as a character, Logan as a character, mm-hmm. and he's carried this franchise through thick and thin. It's annoying that his solo adventures seem to be a really promising first hour and then descend into the worst kind of comic book broad silliness mm-hmm. uh, which we find that was a whole film of that but they always seem to be a tale of two cities in the Wolverine the next uh, Logan solo adventure they almost keep it going for an hour and a half of it being quite a serious hard edged involving thriller yeah. and then suddenly the silliness comes in and you know, feels very much from a different film and in, even in Logan which is held up as being one of the best comic book movies of recent years and is R-rated, still the final kind of half hour 
isn't exactly of a tone with the original kind of hour and a half that everyone seems to love. It is kids running. I mean, Wolverine, for a gruff anti-hero, rescues the kids like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom many, many times during the franchise. Is it Wolverine that Dougray Scott should have played? That's right. So, so Doug, there you go. Imagine yeah. what an alternative <laughs> Wolverine played. If Dougray like. Scott played Wolverine, I don't think he would be as big a star as Hugh Jackman is now. I don't <laughs> think comic book movies might be as, as popular a genre as they are no. now. I don't think the X-Men franchise would have made its way to 11, 10 or 11 films before being rebooted as it will be and folded into the actual Marvel universe that's going to happen over the next couple of years. Yeah. So we've just had a little research of the three actresses we were trying to remember earlier on who could play Native Americans. None of them are of Native American descent. Uh, maybe one. But well, we, one of them played Pocahontas. A, we could, a, we so couldn't, she could, if she plays Pocahontas, she... A, we couldn't remember their names, but B... Just how wildly far away they are from being Native Americans (laughs) suggests we're just as racist as Hollywood executives and uh, we retract any statements we've made in the first part of this podcast. Yeah, the girl um, who I like the look of, um, (laughs) who is called, and I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Koryanka Kilcher, would have been way too young. She would have been 19 um, in 2009. And she is kind of German-Peruvian. There you go, (laughs) German-Peruvian. so, we're very, very sorry about that. Let's do our regular questions and redeem ourselves mm. uh, before we're protested. We didn't cast Jonathan Price as a, a Vietnamese person. And yet you would. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's not that bad. Uh, who was Michael Parks of the film when everyone else was maybe cashing in a cheque? Who was putting full effort and really putting in a great performance? For a genre film? Leave Schreiber. Leave Schreiber, bang on the money. He's absolutely... Any, any other candidates? Well, I mean, obviously he doesn't qualify for the Michael Parks Award because he is the title character, but Hugh Jackman does a really good job. Um, I like Danny Houston, but he doesn't really have a lot to do here, so he can't really, you know, show off, not like in Wonder Woman, where he plays an excellent pantomime baddie. Yeah. Is there anyone else? No, not really. No, because Taylor Kitsch, yeah. I'd say the character of Gambit's more interesting than the actor playing him. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely Lee Schreiber. He he approaches the role with relish. He's a great movie baddie in this. Ooh, uh, shiny. <laughs> Talk about He's so close. <laughs> uh, I'd also say um, when he was originally cast, they made him a rubber suit so he could appear more big and muscly under his uh, black coat. And he said, give me a month or two, I'll put up. I'll pump iron and put it on, he's, and he did. Yeah, he's, <laughs> so, he's got body mass. <laughs> but he, he's, he's got body mass because this film, I don't think he was as built in earlier films. Well, no, because when he was quite unwary, he was just fat. <laughs> yeah, so Ray Donovan's uh, fantastic middle-aged physique yeah. is, is very much this. because of this film. Uh, brilliant stuff. Product placement, what products were getting... I saw a couple. anything. Right, well, um, again... That Las Vegas fight, the blob, will yeah. I am sequence, which feels very much not of the tone of the earlier part of the film, uh-huh. is also when product placement starts wondering again. So I do wonder whether this is like when um, the director wasn't around. Okay. <laughs> the well, director, uh, will I am enjoys a lovely Budweiser. He's I got, didn't see that. He's got a drinking problem. I mean, he he think he's suggesting alcoholism. I'm suggesting he's using Budweiser as his beer to drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and the blob enjoys an icy while he's standing in the ring. Okay. Yeah, which something maybe we wouldn't have noticed a couple of years ago because I see isn't a brand that the UK's had, but they've started trying to sell it in our, our multiplexes. What is it? It's the red and blue drink. Oh. Frosty drink. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So something some your brother might order. If yeah. He'd yeah. love an ICR record. He would. Uh, right. One change you can make to the film to improve it? Um, It would be a toss-up between bulking out what happens before 1981 mm. in the action and casting a more exciting actress as the only female make one, one change, one change. I know. Because I've got two things I'd change. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for. I'd like more. I'd like it. I'd like it to have been slightly longer film and have more origin. More in an origin film, yeah. Yeah. Uh, great idea. Really good call. Um, I think. I would rather lose two mutant-on-mutant fights in the second half and just have one action sequence that isn't a mutant fighting another mutant, mm. Wolverine fighting another mutant. 
um, or just the film to stop once he uh, kills Agent Zero uh, and that helicopter walk away from the fireball because it's a much better film up until that point. <laughs> That's like an hour in. Um, imagine it. Go okay. home early. Everyone goes home early. <laughs> oh. No. Um, where do you put James Spader in this film? Do you know, I think that, as much as I like Danny Houston, um, I think James Spader would be an excellent striker. He's oh. such a good character, and, and Brian Cox is like, really... It is Brian Cox. Yeah. Yeah, who's, who's in, in the original ones. Um, like, he's nasty, but in a kind of a corporate way. Mm. Um, and, yeah, I think Spader could really carry that off. Danny Houston isn't the same body fit, body type fit as Brian Cox, no. and he's probably maybe a little bit too old, really, for 20, 25 years, 30 years later, yeah. for him to be Brian Cox, whereas James Spader would probably be more age-appropriate casting. I'm mm. on it. I'm with you. Uh, would you make Wolverine Origins today? Would this be the film you'd launch the new X-Men franchise on? No. The new Hugh Jackman? It's not, and do you know why? It's nothing to do with the fact that this isn't a good film, because I really, really enjoyed it, and it's not to do with the fact that I think it can't be improved upon because it, I think it definitely can be improved upon. The reason why I wouldn't have it remade is because I think that the modern Marvel studio, if it was Marvel, if it was Their the same people involved... Things. It's a lot slicker than what we see with the Fox X-Men films. Yeah, but I, I don't want that. I, don't, I just don't want that treatment of yeah. X-Men anymore. I just, ugh, yeah, no. So no, don't remake it, just... But they, they are going to, at some point, they are going to introduce a new Wolverine, a Oof. new set of X Men into this universe. Like a new Storm and a new Rogue. Yeah, right. I mean, all of these things to be part of the current X Men universe. If they were to do that, they're almost definitely right now talking to young actors about being the new Wolverine. Is there anyone out there that you think could fill Hugh Jackman's boots? It's a very tough job. It's probably. The only role you wouldn't want to touch with a barge pole for the next 10 years, I'd say. It's it's as bad as trying to recast Han Solo. No matter how good an actor you get into it, I d- they're, I don't they're know. never going to be as loved as that character actor was in that role. Yeah, I, um, I'd need a lot of time to have a think. I don't know who it could be because Hugh Jackman, he balances that kind of... Like he's very strong and he's very kind of masculine, mm. but at the same time, you know, you've got no issue with the fact that he and Rogue have so many seeds together where he's a much older, you know, he's a completely trustworthy, paternal, paternal yeah. kind of guy. Um, so to have a younger man playing him, I, I can't think of anyone. It's, it's really difficult. Like, kind of, when you have to reboot an iconic character, it's a really difficult thing to do. I think the James Bond franchise got very lucky that Roger Moore was waiting in the wings and possibly could have taken the role on if you hadn't have TV contracts in 1963. Mm. But it was Bond that people were waiting to be Bond. A similar situation to Pierce Brosnan when he took over the role. Uh, he was, there was actors there that people really wanted to see play Bond after Sean Connery established the character. Yeah. Um, I would say Spider-Man, you've been incredibly lucky that there hasn't been a definitive Spider-Man. Mm. But Batman, they've struggled with the fact that they lost Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Like, they struggle. You know, Christian Bale had three very successful films. I don't know if people are clamouring to see Christian Bale as Batman again, rather than Christopher Nolan take on the world of Batman again. Mm. Yeah. Um, but if you said, if you said we're going to remake, we're going to make a Batman, that is a, a direct sequel to Batman Returns with Michael Keaton, I think a lot of people would turn up for that movie. Old Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that'd be a great movie. Yeah. Mm. But that's not what they'd either go for younger, don't they? But it's very hard to cast these roles. And like I say, Harrison Ford as Han Solo, Harrison Ford as uh, Indiana Jones. I think you'd really struggle to recast Hugh Jackman as Wolverine for this for the next 25 years without people going, nah, that's not as good. Not interested. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, yeah. I, I can't even think of an actor who who I think could give like a good stab at, stab at it. I mean, whenever I think about actors in comic book films and fulfilling kind of mainstream roles, I always come around to thinking of Chris Pine because yeah. to me, he is... He's the only guy who's managed to play Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> um, he is masculine and can laugh at himself at the same time and, and that is a difficult thing. A good romantic lead as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
easy on but is he too old <laughs> for mm. for what you think the producers would want for a new Wolverine because if so there really isn't anybody yeah I no, it would be a real struggle you've got people like Tom Hardy but they've got too much baggage as well of playing franchise characters already mm. uh, I think it, genuinely there's a real issue there of who, who's going to take over that role and it might just be better to not have Wolverine as part of the X-Men for the next uh, couple of films yeah get as much space as possible yeah bizarrely John McClane die hard I think the whole world would go do you know what Take it off Bruce Willis, give it to some young buck. You're not going to say Jason Biggs again, are you? No, oh, Jason Biggs. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say Jason Biggs, but I think if you gave it to a young, youngish male star, yeah, and it was a film of the quality of the first couple of Die Hard films, I think everyone would go, yeah, do you know what? That's a fucking relief. Yeah. But it's very hard to recast these roles otherwise. Mm-hmm. Okay, which leads us to our final question. Yeah. Is. X-Men Origin Wolverine. Yeah. Difficult film to remember exactly how those words go in, what order they go in. Yeah. <laughs> um, worse or better than Bad Boys? Um, it is better. And I can say with confidence that I am going to be watching it again on my own at some point. For the bumps. In the next future. <laughs> and testosterone. <Yeah. laughs> and the slightly thinning. <laughs> uh, right. No. I, uh, for the first hour it's a better film than Bad Boys. For the second hour, it's a far worse film than Bad Boys. And that consistent inconsistency really disappoints me. It ends on a real bummer in terms of it just drags itself out to nothing uh, after it's already lost a lot of my investment in the film for just doing the same thing on repeat for an hour. So in my book, this is not as good as Bad Boys, uh, which is a shame because you can see a point where it could have been. Okay. Next episode... Mm-hmm. it's another film that you're going to go how can that be so lowly scored you're going to be really really annoyed and it's a good it's a really fun modern day oh, it's going to be something that I want to watch it is going to be something is it Borky's watch. 2? It, no it's better than Borky's 2 okay it's Cameron Diaz Justin Timberlake Jason <gasps> Segel our teacher our teacher oh, what is we're wrong going, with people we're going to have such a good time watching this one again I would be watching that anyway at some point exactly yeah. oh. there's certain films that I know are on this list that we own and I'm almost trying to push you away from watching them until it's our turn to watch them on the podcast so they're nice and fresh for us don't choose a lot of duffers do I no 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 but like excess baggage must be literally kind of we we can only be a few episodes away from Alicia Silverstone's uh, post clueless solo effort excess baggage and uh, two of the biggest stars of the 90s we would have watched it any day of the week yeah Yeah. but Bad Teacher is the next episode and we're very is that why excess baggage keeps getting hidden in the back pile (laughs) yeah So, boys and girls, hopefuls, we will please join us next week and thank you very much for listening. I've been Bobby Carroll. I've been Natalie Carroll. Thank you very much. <laughs>